Welcome to the Event Room, where event professionals from different backgrounds talk about the latest, most controversial, and interesting topics dominating the minds of the industry right now. This is a candid conversation, the likes of which can only otherwise be found late at night in host hotel lobby bars during industry conferences. So relax and drop in on what event pros really say when no one else is around. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event AV company that tells you how it really is. Now, let's brew something up. Welcome back. It's Event Brew, episode number 9,955 in the year of COVID. I am here with my two favorite people, missing my favorite person, Tui, today, but Will Curran is here. Say hi, Will. Yes, sir. Hello. Hello. I'm going to botch this entrance so bad that I never have to do it again. (laughs) That's what you said the last time. It's a good time. I know. I know. I know. My buddy, Nick Borelli's here. Say hi. Hey. Hey. And your screen name today is Pokemon Pro. Yeah, I've uh, I've switched over from uh, being an event industry pro to uh, no joke uh, playing Pokemon Go so much that I feel like that's my job. Wow, uh, good for yeah, you. I'm that's really catch- exciting. Catching them right now, and I'm also in chat uh, with someone who's going to drive up to my house. So uh, while we're talking, and I can do a trade with him uh, outside of my house in his car. Um, so that's that's where I'm at. Great. Well, I'm glad we have your wow. full attention on this <laughs> podcast here today. <laughs> I'm telling you, like that. That's been like the uh, the main like. Uh, idle hands thing that i've been doing lately is uh is playing is kind of returning back to pokemon go and playing it quite like uh, obsessively um because it's like my it's it's really gamified me going outside and walking around and stuff and uh, i've done no less than uh two miles a day for like three months now but as much as like six that's awesome Um, yeah uh i don't know if it's like a huge health difference other than like i am i am outside getting the vitamin d uh, and not sitting inside uh, reading people's sob stories of uh, you know uh, where they're at uh, in the industry because uh, I am there too and I don't need it. Yeah. Hey, you guys are getting your vitamin D. I'm in Arizona. Like I can't go outside and look at the sun. Otherwise, I cook into like a thousand degrees. Everybody's always so jealous when I tell them that summer here is like 80 degrees, Oof. and then I tell them that it lasts for five weeks, and they're like, "Oh, okay, never mind." Yeah, and that your yeah. winters are like <laughs> <Yeah>. negative. <laughs> I was I was golfing the other day, and there was leaves falling off the tree already, and I was like, "I just cannot." I yeah yeah. yeah. But <laughs> there's so already. many there's so many great things about the place that I live that I'm not complaining. Um, probably didn't say this. I'm Dustin Wesley, and I am in beautiful Calgary, beautiful Calgary, Alberta, where it's 80 degrees. It it is objectively one of the most beautiful places i've ever been in my life like no joke calgary or like like... calgary oh calgary is awesome dude well not not arizona no no (laughs) no offense no offense will i've been hung out with you in in your town it's uh warm we also went to like comic book stores and stuff like that i did enjoy that uh (laughs) but i could do that anywhere but uh no i could uh find a small apartment and with a good view in calgary and feel like life would be worthwhile uh even with that because uh it's just so beautiful done well my marriage proposal extends to you as well we're trying to figure ways to get across borders right yeah. now like will wants to go see tenant in theaters and great next god as well polygamy would it be like brother husbands brother husbands oh that sounds like a good show yeah maybe we, maybe we can do that instead <laughs> yeah brother husbands let's uh, do it. a spin-off of a bed brew 
I, I apologize for the lack of uh, uh, sex appeal that I would bring to that show. But um, uh, never mind. The, never mind the show. I'm the one that has to marry you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good point. Oh, good way to start this. This has nothing to do with what it is we're talking about. But before we get into our topic, we have to talk about our brew. Things that also don't matter about what we're going to talk about. It's very true. It's very true. true. Uh, Uh, Let's talk about our brew. Guys, I have something that's so different than I normally drink that I'm just uh, excited about it. And my wife gave it to me, I think, as a uh, hint. Uh, and it's uh, an organic uh, carrot, uh, carrot and uh, turmeric juice. Um, it's really oh. good. Um, I have what's to admit, the, what's channeling the, your inner Tui. What's the what's the catch? Uh, they're really actually. I mean, it's Trader Joe's spiked uh, with vodka. You know, it's not like it's a <laughs> yeah, it's vodka. No, it's just like a. It's just CBD. one of those. There's organic chili pepper powder in it. Um, Did you pour a Red Bull into it? Yeah, you know. I, <laughs> Have I, I missed that? I've missed a few episodes. Are oh, we... that's that's all the same. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, yeah, nothing, nothing has changed. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah. Some things Ooh. are, yeah, some things are the same. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I'm just trying it out, you know, trying something different. Um, Great. It's, uh, for me, it's eight o'clock at night. So, for, you know, I'm not uh, necessarily cramming the, uh, the Monster Energy drinks, uh, you know, in the evening as much. That is a good plan. I'm super proud of you, Nick. Good job. Yeah, yeah Nick. Low bar. Right, keep it up. All right, so let's see if we can continue for longer than one episode. Everyone give him some love in no, the comments. No, you won't. You won't. And uh, keep it going. <laughs> uh, Will, what are you drinking? Uh, so I'm drinking what I drank last week, which is because I have so much of it left that I need to get power through, and I was too lazy to make more hot tea. But this matcha green tea, oi ocha. Uh, that's like straight out of Japan, and it's literally, I mean, like so you guys can see, it literally doesn't have any English on it at all other than the name. And uh, yeah, it's matcha green tea. It's unsweetened and it tastes like green tea. Great. It's doing its job. Great. So nothing's changed there. Nope. But nope. I'm eating goldfish. That's. I was going to ask you what you're eating. Yeah, yeah. I thought Gold, it was popcorn. Lo- lots of goldfish. I order so many snacks now that I have access to Instacart. So I just like order some more snacks. And like I eat way more snacks than I ever did before. Goldfish are a staple around our house for our uh, two-year-old and six-year-old. So... <laughs> I feel well, like that's their that's target the you, demo. Well, the one, one you guys get per show of making fun of my childish eating things. Yeah. I also, I also eat pretzel goldfish, too. And a bottle of milk. And, and Cheez-Its. Yeah, great. And saltine crackers. Ugh. Okay, well, um, well, we're all disgusting people. I'm assuming you're having some amazing Canadian water, Justin. I am actually having a beer. It's my Friday. Ooh. Nice. So I am having a beer because it's... It's Canadian Friday. Six o'clock. It's a Canadian Friday. What's the beer of choice this time? Um, you're gonna make fun of me because. Oh, okay. <laughs> you guys. Well, before everyone, before he says, anyone in the audience guess what they think it is? We've all seen it now. Uh, but it's not uh, Molson Triple X um, <laughs> or anything Canadian like that. It's, uh, it's it's the carb counting beer. It's Michelob Ultra, and you can make fun of me all you want. It's 90 calories in the it smells in, like beer in Canada. The Canadian size is 90 calories. The American size is like. E- even the people who worked at Anheuser, I'm not sure if I said this on the show, but people, even the people that worked at Anheuser Busch made fun of Michelob Ultra. Well, sure, I don't care. Listen, it is an exceptionally light beer. All right, gentlemen, what are we talking about today? So, I got so I got something for you guys. Okay. So uh, this last week, uh, uh, Tomorrowland uh, finished up its, uh, or not last week. Oh my gosh. This has been almost a week now. Tomorrowland finished up and, uh, it has some really cool press release and it's kind of taking the events industry by storm. Uh, someone shared me the case study for it, uh, on their website. 
which we'll link in the description. Um, but then I've actually heard from a couple of event professionals that they have now bought a ticket to this and, you know, um, now have uh, attended the event and said it was fantastic and all virtually. So uh, I figured mm -hmm. I'd tell you guys a little bit about it. You guys haven't heard of Tomorrowland, though. Before. No, I think it's a great opportunity for you to tell us what Tomorrowland is. All right, so for those who haven't heard Tomorrowland, so I'm uh, I'm a resident like nerd of electronic music, so um, I, I know that I can sometimes get really into this stuff. But uh, believe it or not, Tomorrowland is actually probably the I would say the biggest global music festival. Period, um, hands down, uh, or maybe global period, but definitely electronic music for sure. And it's infamous for being, I believe, in uh, the Netherlands, if I remember correctly. My gosh, I'm going to get killed for, for not remembering this. That sounds but, right. Mm -hmm. Put your comments um, below, please. And Mega um, fans. Essentially, like, it's famous for its crazy stage designs of these physical stages of, like, very mystical-looking stuff and people from around the world. So literally, it was, like, infamous for, like, tons of, um, like, hundreds of country flags being out in the audience and, like, you know, the 100,000 people being in front of the main stage so big humongous music festival obviously not possible happening right now uh in covid land um so um they decided to go digitally um, which i didn't even know was going on because honestly i haven't been paying attention at all to uh it at all but it was a huge success you know they usually have like a hundred thousand people come uh in person um they ended up releasing all their numbers and i haven't even got a chance to read through these so i'll react to some of these with you guys but the one that stuck out to me is the first one which is they had over a million viewers aka a million attendees who all paid 12 and a half euro to attend and this is normally a festival that's like 500 bucks i think to attend or something like that so um you know obviously dropped down in price but their numbers went through the roof so effectively 12.5 million dollars in revenue so um yeah, well, I mean, let's start with the numbers, and then I, I'll eventually I want your guys' like live reactions to the the videos and stuff that are on their press release. I mean, that's uh, it, that reminds me a lot of esports, you know, where um, the there's a disproportionate amount of people who are willing to pay a small amount of money to uh, experience it in uh, in in the virtual realm, and, and and actually there is a physical event that's taking place, a face to face event that's taking place. Uh, that is not the what it's really about. Um, it's about the uh, the virtual, so it's like kind of skewed the other way. Um, and uh, it's also just a huge community type thing that people understand that there's there's money to be uh, made there, um, and people aren't scared of uh, charging you know a decent amount of people and have a pretty large marketing pool. Um, that's like that's the thing I've been pointing to when people say. Um, you know, you can't charge for this stuff or or whatever. Like, I think that in some instances for B2B, you can charge um, because it's such a um, niche proposition that you can charge pretty much just or just the exact amount of money uh, and get away with it, quote unquote, because you're delivering niche value. But when you have broad appeal for like B2C, I think that that, that it's harder to, you know, to accomplish that. But your ability to um, go global with anything is really high because it's not niche. So um, to me, the, the, the best analogy to something like this is what they do in esports. And uh, I think that when people are looking at pricing their events, they're going to have to look at, is this a niche proposition uh, where there's only so much value that you could, or only so many reach you can get. And therefore uh, you have to be able to get, you know, pretty much the same amount of money that you got when the face to face uh, and just realize that the value that you deliver in the end result, be it leads or whatever, is uh, is the ROI or is it about, um, 
a bigger reach uh, that could be global and then you make your money in volume because like in music it's a, it could potentially you know it could be go anywhere right so your your value you could deliver is a, is a broad net so yeah i mean i mean i'm excited from the the monetary part because it's been a debate mm-hmm. with a lot of people is what do i charge and uh and who does this reach and how do i make my money back Mm-hmm. Can you imagine a million people at an in-person festival? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, the esports things—they get the the big ones, the uh, the competitions uh, uh, for like Overwatch and stuff. They get a million viewers. That's that's about oh. the number they get. Um, and, and delving into this world last year with meeting with a bunch of uh, esports producers, and we did like a hackathon and like a think tank with them. Um, we we found out some of these numbers, and like the the, the at home is that, and then the in person was. Uh, about 5,000. Now that's different because that's hybrid, I suppose, um, you know, and planned that way. But like, it's, um, it's still about the virtual being um, this exponentially huge thing. And how do you play to an audience of a million differently than you would play to an audience of, um, you know, a thousand or something like that? Like what's, you know, from a design perspective, Dustin, like, would you, would you skew things differently if you were, if you knew that the audience was that globally broad well you'd have to the the audience would be you would think it would be way more varied um i think that when you're when you have a a show for a hundred thousand people you probably have a pretty good thumb on the pulse of where they're from where they're traveling from um and and this sort of worldwide access i think changes a lot of things um through you know different different language cultures um, you know, access, maybe probably access to a lot more younger people that wouldn't be able to do that kind of travel. Um, yeah, I think, I think all of this to me, it just, it, it really answers the question of will things go back to normal? No, never. They're never going to go back to what we knew as normal. And, and I think, you know, watching, watching things like Tomorrowland get a million people to, to watch their, their festival online is going to, it's, it changes so much. And, we're, it's very unlikely we're going to go back to the models that we had before, which is, you know, I'm probably not the only person. I know it's not you two, but other people that are listening, it's kind of scary for those of us that are not in the virtual world, for those of us that are that are really are addicted to the live experience and we need people to be face to face for, you know, our current business models to be successful. When I see stuff like this, I can't help but be like, oh, like God, things are going to change. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree because like... Like for myself and to some extent, Will, like uh, I can say definitely for me, I have no investment in anything uh, that is physical. Uh, I do strategy work. I own nothing. Right. So um, my burden as I if people are you know coming up to me and they're like, oh, man, you're in the events industry. You know, I feel so bad for you. I'm like, dude, my friends have it way worse than me. They have staffs. They have yeah. stuff. I have no staff. I have no stuff. I just have to be able to be, you know, uh, uh, a little bit more fluid and go in a different direction. Um but I feel for the people that have invested in the in the physical stuff. Um, that said, um, I think that like the one thing that I hope doesn't go back, and I, I don't I don't foresee it going back, uh, is the inclusionary nature of our impact. So like what I hope is face to face will will find its um, you know footing again, uh, and it will be as strong and and continue on hopefully at some point the trajectory it was going but also have the ability to expose people who never would have come anyway, you know, and and that's exciting because I want, I want a a stronger communities. I want uh, more inclusive experiences. 
Uh, and I think that something I was re-listening to episodes, uh, which is weird, I admit. Um, <laughs> and Tui said something that like is just like stuck with me that I've repeated like a dozen times since, which was, I don't know if you heard this one, Dustin, I think you were on it, but uh, she said that like the idea that the virtual event has been the vegan meal at the table mm-hmm. uh, with a bunch of people that ordered the regular meal and then the vegan meal was just the side dish. Right. And like, that's so like to me as someone who you know comes from that background and I know you have as well, like it, it rings so true. Cause it's like, technically, yes, that is a meal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it just wasn't the designed experience that, that really, or the forethought put into that, that, that was equal to the rest. So that person didn't feel like they belonged at that table. One, two, um, they didn't get the intended out, uh, like the intended design of the behavioral change that was supposed to happen from that. Um, and that's where we've been. I, I hope that there's a cross mingling of face to face impact and virtual that someone experiences it for the, f- for the first time virtually goes to a face to face, a face to face that goes to a virtual back and forth. But just so we have more inclusive uh, community impact and have more diverse audiences that are uh, able to uh, experience the designs and ideas that we have. I, I can imagine with this too, like that, what, like, I think uh, you posed a really good question that I want to make sure that like we, we definitely discuss, which is the, the, do we think that will ever go, that Tomorrowland will ever go back to being in person now after they made $12.5 million off of something that I mean, when you look at this press release too, like let's build, we can talk about the technology of it. But it wasn't like an, oh hey, we just live stream a couple of DJs. Like they they did some crazy stuff. There's like six 4K ultra cameras, uh, thirty two thousand renders of trees. Like there was some serious work put in this. But that will they go back? But I think one of the greatest things that would be interesting to see will will they continue doing this once in person returns? And then this will be the marketing agent they use mm-hmm. to now power their in-person experiences that now like, oh, wow, we have a hundred thousand people or we have, let's say that for example, they look at it and they're like, wow, almost a quarter million people came mm-hmm. from, uh, I don't know, like, let's say like Thailand, let's do a festival in Thailand and boom, they have like all the data they need to know that they already have a, a, a base mm-hmm. of people already put in there. I, I bet you they didn't have a million people on their email list before right. all this. And now they definitely do. Oh yeah. Jeez. Right. Think about and that. I, and I wonder too, it's like, you know, hybrid events and having the option to be in person or be online is going to put a lot more pressure to do in person better because now you're going to say, ah, that event's okay. I can, you know, that conference is okay. I'll do it online. And if, if you, you know, now you have to make that in-person experience so much better because it needs to be better than what you can get online and it has to be worth the travel. It has to be worth the costs. Um, so I actually think that's a positive thing that will come out of this. It's going to put pressure to do better events and you can't, you can't cheap out anymore. You can't, you can't just do what you've always done because people will just stay home and watch it at home for a fraction of the cost. People who are committed to their craft and at the top of their game in their region, market, et cetera, um, agreed they'll be the ones on board with that kind of change. I think the majority of the events industry has self-sabotaged uh, uh, virtual uh, for mm-hmm. that same reason. Um, they, have, they have said, and I've been in meetings for years and years and years, I don't want to stream this because then people will get it and then they won't come to the face-to-face. And then my answer has consistently always been like, well, then you're doing face-to-face wrong because you're not taking advantage of, um, you know, you say the word experiential at nauseum, but you don't actually believe in it um, if you aren't willing to design with uh, engagement of the senses, all of the senses. Um, in a way that would make face-to-face a requirement to get that experience for the people that want it. So 
um, it's one of those things where it's like, well, I don't want to give people my best because, um, you know, then they'll um, they'll expect it, you know, and, and then like even it's like weird. Mm-hmm. For every reason, I always think about this. Like there was uh, a bunch of my friends uh, 20 years ago who are in the in the tattoo business. and They started tattoo parlors and um, completely unregulated. And you have like a, essentially a knife, you know, and you, you're going into people's skin uh, and they could just do it. Right. And the people who were good at it, people who were invested in their craft wanted more regulation. And people, you know, on the whole, on the, on the average, didn't because they were like, I don't, I can't afford it. This is punk rock. I want to be able to blah, 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 you know, just uh, have this low. I want to take advantage of the low barrier to entry. And the people who paid their dues, the people that were good, wanted the barrier to entry to be stronger uh, because they didn't want to compete with people who um, were bottom feeders. And I think that, like, that has been a thing that the event industry has fought for, you know, fought against for years and years. And that mentality, I think, bled into the virtual um, uh, of, like, the shunning of the potential for virtual because um, they didn't want to do the thing that Dustin wants, which is to have a, a better competition and to only have great events. Like, uh, uh, Dustin's one of the few people I know who, who has said in, in a bunch of different terms that, uh, I'd rather, uh, you know, uh, do it well, uh, or, or not do it, uh, even in the degree of like, let's say membership for associations. Like I remember like a very profound thing he told me years ago of like, I, I try not to sell too many memberships to the same company because, um, they won't get the, you know, the value out of it. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, isn't the job to sell, sell, sell? Like, no, it's to provide the value. And if you can't do it at that high level, then don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's too much of the low barrier to entry um, negatives that comes with the event industry um, is also this idea that like uh, getting by is the answer and, and just doing the thing that I, the one little thing I know how to do well, uh, as opposed to, and, and then stopping plateauing. Like, I don't think anyone who has the plateau mentality is going to survive the future. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be able to say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here to roll with the punches. Either I'm the best at this uh, or I'm the most fluid at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not about selling it once. It's about retention. It's about getting people to come back. It's, you know, if you're, if you're you know, very few things in our industry are one-off. Very, very few things. And, and it, the game should be about retaining. So sell to the right people. Give them the right experience and get them to come back. And if they don't come back, you fucked it up. And it's it's about integrity too. Like I think that like ultimately a long term relationship with this industry as a professional means that you're willing to. um, First off, you're doing it because you want to challenge yourself. Uh, because there, there's, I mean, now I think better than ever, I've realized that there's, there's ways to make easier money. Um, <laughs> Jesus. You know, uh, everyone's getting a real estate license now. Uh, I'm thinking so. x-ray technician. <laughs> yeah, x-ray technician. No, they'll yeah. always hire for that. Yeah. Uh, so, like, if you don't have passion to challenge yourself or have some kind of self-motivation, I think that you're, you're not long for this industry. You know, you never have been. Um, so I think that, like, the people who want it to kind of be a little tough, a little tough, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, are the ones who uh, are, uh, you know, like the long-term like leaders, and then the people that are like just trying to figure out how they can craft out their own uh, little identity and and get by. Uh, I think that like uh, an organ, like a, a music festival like that would say like let's just um, let's just cancel for a year mm-hmm. uh, and not invest in all that technology that that Will said, uh, and uh, you know we'll get through this, etc. Because we have this thing that works. But they said, no, like, let's push the envelope. Let's roll the dice on a huge endeavor 
and let's do it at the same level because we have integrity uh, and this is what our brand ultimately is. It's this experience at this level. And regardless of the venue, uh, it's going to be at this level. And I think that that's probably I think they would have got a million people sort of no matter what this year um, if they didn't do that because they were Mm -hmm. they had that integrity and they were coasting on that and that they um, the other part of integrity and credibility that's tough is that once you gain it, it's very easy to lose. Yeah, Um, you can coast on it once and then after that it's done. Uh, So they didn't do that and they're going to survive, I think. Well, I guess the 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 measure for success, it's too early to tell, right? If you want to know if this was successful, let's see what the numbers are next year. Agreed. But I mean, frankly, if if the experience is at that level and that they're getting that much um, feedback and the end, um, the industry has majority uh, of it has been canceling and not going up to the challenge. Mm-hmm. And they, they said that, you know, we're going to meet that challenge. And it hasn't been even like, you know, I mean, it's been positive in the reviews. Um, then I think that they're, they're in a position to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and where everyone else probably had some justifiable fears of, you know, like they, they couldn't do it that their that their level in a virtual environment, they wouldn't do it. So, I mean, and mm-hmm. there's something to be said about that as well. Uh, but being able to say, you know, we're not going to do it if we don't do it at that level and then doing it is is mm-hmm. the real leadership position. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the barrier? So. For events that canceled, postponed, <clears throat> not, I don't know what the difference is these days. Um, <laughs> what, what's the, what is the fear there? Why, why isn't everybody doing what Tomorrowland did? Well, I mean, one interesting thing is there's definitely a technological barrier for what they did, um, for sure. Like, I mean, like, even looking at this, too, like, it, it, there's tons and tons of rendering. So, for example, they, they say it kind of at, I think, where is it? It only took them three months to do it. Normally, a production level would take two years to do. Like, they had four video studios around the world with huge green screens, right? And they, they put Katy Perry as their, like, headliner, right? So, there's a bunch of things that go in there. But, like, one of the interesting things is, like, there was so much rendering that happened. So, it says... Uh, it used tens of different render engines over four weeks, 24-7 to process all day because there was over 300 terabytes Jesus. of rendered footage um, in this three-dimensional environment, plus the six 4K cameras, and then plus an additional 38 cameras there. So there's, there's some That's pretty a, big technological stuff here, investment. To me, without knowing all that technology, it sounds like they are – they like a lot of entrepreneurs uh, mm-hmm. that made it big, they took risk. You know, because mm-hmm. that sounds like a ton of risk, you know, to invest in that with that with a formula that works uh, and uh, going outside of that formula. Uh, so you're going outside of the formula, uh, you know, you build it, but will they come? Uh, and it cost a ton of money because it sounded like a lot of hurry up money, you know, and anyone mm-hmm. who's been in production knows that there's the cost and then there's the cost if you want it now. And it seems mm-hmm. like they did an extreme version of the latter. Uh, which which I can't even imagine like what the the cost associated with that is. So like granted, we know that you know a million people at twelve bucks is is a good, you know, is a good bottom line or d- good top line. I don't know what the bottom line is, but I'm sure they're still great. Um, but I'm I'm impressed by the uh, commitment to risk. Uh, another leadership trait, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and many others will be able to <clears throat> mimic this or the. You know, the technology will get better for for those in the future and we'll see more of this and there will be more competition for these types of events as the technology is easier to access and it's not quite as intimidating and um yeah it won't be long before we're so oversaturated with that level of production um and then the real game begins 
Would you guys experience a music festival in a virtual uh, environment? Is that something that is appealing to you? No. I, I would, but it's because I have like a badass sound system and lights that can sync to my music and stuff. So like, I, have an envir- I have an environment built for it but in my apartment. It's funny. It's funny you say that. I was just thinking that um, just as we started, I just thought, I wonder if people's home entertainment systems are going to get an upgrade. Ooh. I wonder if there's like, there's so much at home now that, you know, you have to, you have to imagine that the technology that is being used, you know, all this advancement in technology that's being used to bring it to you is going to eventually end up in your house and integrated lighting systems systems and sound systems are going to be important where I think we've actually slipped away from some of that, like the, you know, the surround sound living room. And it's not as important as it was, you know, 15 years ago when Blu-ray came out. And I wonder if we're going to go back to having some really badass AV in our houses so that we can actually enjoy um, all of this new online content. Is my, there t- my, my TV is literally 15 years old. That's how <laughs> it is. I got, it's how much I don't care about that kind of stuff. And I use like AirPods. I'm like the worst. So <laughs> I, all yeah, my that, that'd be my nightmare. Suck. Like it's like when people like are like, "Hey, yeah, let's watch a movie at my place," and I'm like, uh, "No, let's watch it at my oh, my God, place." You must instead, be you know? yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> you have I'm, I'm horrible. That yeah, you, I'm horrible. You today. have all this stuff. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'll bring it over in a dolly as your messaging <laughs> as your messaging on Craigslist. <laughs> the the first COVID purchase I made with like uh, was a TV. Uh, in like like week one of it, I was like, uh, I'm gonna be here watching TV more. Um, but no, what about the idea of um, some sort of hub and spoke uh, concept of like uh, um, maybe a smaller, um, more intimate uh, opportunities for people to take in uh, streamed uh, different mm-hmm. live music venues, but you know, for uh, a uh, a regional you know thing. So like, I, I, don't I got know, you on. I, you do, I like, you on could this. do that, right? I mean, like, let's look at, uh, you know, movie theaters have been doing this for a while with, like, musicals and, like, um, with, like, uh, theatrical productions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my parents all the time go watch live, um, like, versions of <laughs> in-person performances. And it's basically a hub-and-spoke model um, in a lot of ways. The unfortunate thing is right now movie theaters are closed. But I bet you right now, if, if, if movie theaters were safe, they'd be crushing it right now. I bet you Tomorrowland would be like, let's sign a deal with AMC and have a theater in every single one and people will spend 40 bucks to go listen to it in ba- booming bass and dance in the, you know, the home theater or the, mm-hmm. the, 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 in the theater. Yeah, totally. I think the, I watched Harry Potter for the first time last year or two years ago. I'd never seen it. And I watched it at a Philharmonica performance. Oh, wow. Like, I like love on that. on the big screen and they were yeah. doing, it was, this, it was. It and was, they do the dialogue and everything too? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, wow. I've never, I've never gone to one I've of I've never these. seen dialogue. I, they just did all the, they just did the soundtrack. But you, but oh. you're watching the movie and the Philharmonica is like, it's, so it's on the big screen and then it's a film the... with the theatrical score removed and then, and then done live. Right. Oh, uh, but then they they take all the dialogue out and everything like that no, as well. No, it's, it's just the, the oh, dialogue still there. The, what's okay, not so there was... is the, is the score. Uh, which, which, which Harry Potter film. was it? <laughs> hmm? Which Harry Potter was it? The first one. Okay, cool. So, so I've done this like... with Star Wars. Wow. Uh, I've, I've seen, uh, over the years, all three of the original uh, uh, New Hope, uh, Empire, and Return, with uh, people performing the John Williams scores, and it's awesome. Like it's it, really awesome. Yeah, it's so much fun. All right, I have to do this. Yeah, Hans it's worth Zimmer, it. are you doing uh, Inception? Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> Bomb. <laughs> Bomb. It's just one dude with a gong the entire time. Um, no, that's 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 super duper cool. But I think there's definitely like yeah, some potential there for sure. 
I'm on a like that's a hybrid experience, right? Totally I mean, is. that's live music in, in a virtual, uh, you pre-recorded, know, digital, pre-recorded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 these are the kind of ideas I think that we need to think about as far as um, how we can mix mediums between the experiential and the digital to to play with the senses and to play with emotions. Uh, and to tell stories um, that, you know, before we've stuck to one medium versus another. And I, I know, of course, we've done that before, but I think that, like, we have to be able to be... Uh, my big t- takeaway over the last, like, couple months is just to be fluid, mm-hmm. you know, to, to say, like, like what's the end what's the end end root goal that we're trying to achieve and uh, let's focus on that and then know that the rest of the things could just fall underneath us. Um, but we have to really double down in understanding what like our end goal is as far as behavioral change. And the rest of it will go in with, you know, we like there's no people, I think, better to think about things in, in plan A and plan B parallels than event professionals. But instead of thinking about it like rain or shine, we need to think about, you know, a bunch more things like that because we, we've done the rain or shine thing for hundreds of years. Right. Like we know mm-hmm. how to do that. We're the people that, you know, have a tent on standby. I think we just need to have a, a, a digital, you know, equivalent of an experience, a, a truly designed dig- digital experience on standby or more likely in a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's fair to say that those that are not interested in technology and those that are sticking their heels in hard and that are just they're just not interested, that this is going to be a really rough time for them? It's an extinction yeah. event for the uh, uh this is yeah i said this earlier today like covid is an extinction event for the technophobic event professional mm-hmm. like it it is um there it's a line that if you say like i'm just not a technology person mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. then you know you're not um you're you're painting with like you know four crayons right. uh, and the rest of us have you know markers and and um you know pen, color pencils and whatever this analogy goes we've got a ton of stuff <laughs> And you've got those four colors and, you know, if, if, if everything happens perfect, then you get to do the thing that you, you know, you kind of do. Um, but if not, uh, and you're in the real world of, uh, of this world, I think that moving forward is going to be all around uh, the idea of uh, different uh, disruptions, mm-hmm. uh, then you need to be disruption proof. And that means an investment in uh, like things like design thinking mm-hmm. or um, just, just more fluid ways of thinking as opposed to just saying, I only do this, you know, mm-hmm. like, where do you think the, where do you think the fear of technology comes from? Cause I think it's interesting cause it's very easy to say, okay, boomer, you don't understand. I know a lot of young people that have no freaking idea and, oh, yeah. and it's not, this is not, this is not a older person's problem. This sort of like fear with technology. And I actually think that that the younger the younger people are not interested in dynamic technology either right like yeah they can figure out how to splice together some like some really cool tiktok videos but there there seems to be like that's going to be an issue for us where do you think like where do you think that comes from families like the i mean if your parents really don't like technology and didn't give you a computer i think that can be a big motivator did you have a computer when you were little, Will? Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> you just you sounded yeah. sad there, so I was just. Ah uh, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. I actually, my parents were awesome. They, um, they were like my dad was really, I think, into technology, and so he had a computer. So I got on it, and they gave me like Math Blasters to play on and stuff. And Math Blasters. I, I, they very much like we got internet, and I pushed them really hard to like be on the internet all the time. And then I think I was, I mean, I think I was maybe. 12 13 but and my parent i convinced my parents to like hold off on christmas for like three three years for me to get me a so that i could get my own com- desktop computer 
Jesus. Your uh, yeah. childhood sounds like uh, uh, some kind of uh, what's uh, what's the guy? Uh, Dickensian nightmare. Um, you had to wait three years for Christmas. <laughs> well, I, uh, that, my privilege yeah, is yeah. showing because, like, yeah. I I got my uh, computer. Uh, yeah, Windows no, three you know, one. I was I was very I'm very fortunate because my parents like they they like they worked really hard. So then that way we were never um, we never had to be like our dreams and what we wanted like to do or explore our passions. We never had to wait for it and like. Like my parents worked two jobs, whatever they had to do to make that happen. Um, so I was, I was really fortunate because like honestly, if it wasn't for that, I went through so many different hobbies and things like that and then eventually found on websites which led me to finding electronic music, which led me to becoming a DJ, DJing to like, you know, doing this. So like honestly, like if it wasn't for that, you know, if they had said no computer for you, stay off the internet sort of technology, I mean, that's where the family thing I think comes in. Like if, some, mm. if your parents said you only get to use the computer on Saturdays and Sundays, you might only use it to catch up on cartoons and things like that because that's what immediately gives you interest. But when you get unbridled access to the internet, like it, it just drove me down a rabbit hole of technology. <laughs> I went down a rabbit hole uh, that probably wasn't positive necessarily all from getting uninterrupted internet access at an early age uh, without any uh, supervision. Uh, but I don't necessarily want to go down that road too much. <laughs> but uh, I can tell you that there's a negative there that I'm course correcting uh, uh, later in life as a parent. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, I could, I could definitely argue a passion for, um, connecting with people, um, on the online and, uh, and using technology in a way that, um, it bridges gaps, uh, and creates community, um, is something that might get people into the, you know, technology in a way that is, um, uh, more of it as a tool than an end. Cause I think a lot of people that say I'm not into technology, it's because they're not into technology as the end. And like for me, right. I'm not into technology as the end either. I, right. I'm into communication and connections and it's the medium to do that, right? So it would be mm -hmm. like, I'm not into, um, God, I'm just, I make such porn out. Uh, I'm not into um, uh, tires. I don't know anything about rubber, but I love driving. Carrot, right? so, turmeric. Yeah, carrot, turmeric. Yeah, I like living. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, yeah, exercise is a good one, right? I'm like, I, I like, I love life. Uh, I just don't like exercising. That's like, well, you can't have one without the other. Uh, so, um, and you don't appreciate one necessarily without uh, an investment in the other. So, uh, you know, you could argue that that's the case too. Uh, I, I will say that, like, I think that the specific strain of technophobia that exists in the event industry, I, I've definitely thought about. And I, I have a number of presentations literally about that, about getting over that, uh, that I was doing about five or six years ago. Now available for twelve fifty. Yeah, yeah, I need to monetize this stuff. Uh, so, uh, Tomorrowland dot Nick's presentation. Yeah. But ultimately, like I think the event professional is is first and foremost uh, comes from uh, a root DNA of hospitality and hospitality mm -hmm. is grounded in physical things that make people feel comfortable uh, and technology is not that, you know, technology is uh, almost the opposite of that. It is um, this kind of um, not salt of the earth, not right. bread breaking, like it pushes you, you, it challenges you. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make you feel comfortable right. uh, and it doesn't make you um, it doesn't give you the warm fuzzies in a human like touchy way. Um, and I've spent uh, the last like six years working with a lot of technology companies trying to understand event people because they, they don't seem like they 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 get it. And like that's informed my ability to help the event professional get the technology people. 
Um, and I, I can tell you that I think that that's the one, if I had to nail it on, like, or figure out like one thing it is, it's the hospitality and, and, and technology aren't necessarily, um, the same DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Do you think that, um, well, maybe I'll just say, I feel like technology needs a rebrand, like technology as a thing needs a rebrand. It needs, you know, somebody out there needs to start giving it a new face because it is, it is this, this super powerful, most important communication tool. And, and the fact that we're in, you know, 2020 and we're still, we're still afraid of it is so strange. It's like, how have we not been able to conquer this? And well, I think it depends too on what piece of technology. I mean, like, let's look at this. Uh, like, I think let's look at specific pieces of technology, right? So, uh, let's look at smartwatches. Mm-hmm. I think if you told everyone ten years ago, yeah, like, hey, you're gonna have a watch that's gonna be a computer on your hand, people be like, no, nah, it's too nerdy for me. Too much technology. Mm-hmm. I don't need that much technology in my life. I got a phone in my pocket, whatever, whatever that may be, right? And then now, look, like Apple made it fashionable and cool, and now like. If you say you have a normal watch, some people are like, wow, how retro, right? Um, Right. But like, I think it's- But it started with sport, right? So that's how that's how they got yeah, in. Yeah, like the fitness. Yeah. The, minute, yeah, the, the fitness, minute the minute it could start taking your blood pressure, sorry, taking your heartbeat, and like, and then it had a purpose that was beyond just getting your emails to your. Oh, to like your watch. purely technology. Like people, you, you're saying almost like we need to make technology for technology safe. Ha, like, is that kind of what? Yeah. Uh, you're going for? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's the vehicle? What's the Trojan horse? that gets technology into uh, the lives of people who are, are, aren't against it. And like, uh, I think that you hit the nail on the head by saying sport, a thing that is um, ambiguous and, and something that most people have some affinity towards um, their health, their movement, et cetera, mm-hmm. that makes it more of a, like a black and white, a tool. And again, not the idea of the end to itself. Like I think the end to itself technology people, uh, are the early adopter, you know, techie people, the people that had Google Glass, you know, that had the the Snapchat glasses, you know, like that just had the Will Kern. Yeah. Yeah. I have it too. And Nick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, but like we're willing to do the clunky like uh, uh, beta versions of things that are not quite polished uh, from the standpoint of not necessarily the technology, but but the vehicle to make it adapted into people's lives. Yeah, exactly. You're uh, versus as I unfold my foldable phone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) For me, it's like, you just get me, you know, that, but, but the point is, is like, I think that we need to think about things like that. Cause I think, uh, that's very, it's a very good point in as much as there isn't, there needs to be an, an outside, uh, push, uh, that is lifestyle related uh, that gets people into the technology. And if we think that the events industry is suffering from that, you know, it, bringing it back to events, we need to figure out a way to uh, appeal to uh, the sensibilities of the event industry folks who we want to see, you know, survive this mm-hmm. uh, and figure out a way to dr- pull them in in a way that is uh, kind uh, that uh, they will adopt this into their lifestyle in a way that is seemingly organic. Like what's so yeah. I don't know what that is, though. Yeah. I tell people all the time, I say, you don't need to understand how it works. You no. don't need to understand every piece of it. You need to understand to be a great event prof and to serve your clients. You need to understand what is possible yep. and you need to find the right people to do the job. That's it. That's what you need to know. You don't need to know how it all works. If you, you know, if you, if you want to learn, that's great, but that's not necessary to live in this world of technology. You have to align with the right partners. You have to be brave enough to, to learn what you can and can't do. And, and that, that's quite simple. And I think that we, 
you know, I can't tell you how many technology 101 things where, where people are obsessed with like, but I need to know how it works in order to, to, to sell it. And I no, you don't, that's not, and you don't care and you get halfway through it and you realize that Will Kern is crazy and you <laughs> can't, you can't actually understand half the acronyms he's saying. And you just need to know that that's the guy you can trust to do it for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've noticed it too, even through this whole virtual thing is that like, People are like, oh, I need to know everything about the platform and this and that. I'm like, no, just trust your partners. Totally. Yeah. Can it do these things? Great. Um, yep. And then and spend the rest of your time really uh, investing in the relationships with the people who are uh, that have the passion in the end technology bit. Uh, so you can focus on the thing that you're passionate about, which is the outcome. Right. Uh, and I think that like there are plenty of people uh, like Will who are, are passionate about the technology itself. Um, and if you if you can find someone where you connect from, you know, passion to passion uh, and, you know, excitement about the things that you're excited about, uh, then that's a, that's where awesome partnerships happen mm -hmm. are people who complement each other instead of having to know, you know, like, I don't trust you. So I need to know everything you need to know. Right. Like that's not complimenting. Those and those aren't partnerships. Have you had those relationships in your life where two people are very similar and it doesn't work? Of course. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, but there is still something that you have to have similar in a, in a, in a relationship. Uh, and to me, it's like shared values. Uh, you know, that if you have shared values with somebody, but you're, you know, you're built differently, I think those end up being in a relationship, some of the best relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what I would look for in the partnership with with uh, a technology person, quote unquote, would be do we have shared values? Like, are we both into this for, you know, to do the best or are we both into this to the most stable mm -hmm. or you know, whatever those shared values are that are professional values? Uh, and then after that, you know, are we both, you know, passionate about being credible or, you know, or wh whatever it is? Uh, and then once that happens and you can share the same excitement level on the bit that you do, then I mean, the sky's the limit, because likely the thing that you're passionate about. They don't have the time or energy to care about the passion of that, but they know that like they fit like a glove. I love that. I was going to say, maybe we should offer some advice. And I think you just did it. I think that was, uh, that was really well done. Well, gents, what do you think? Should we wrap this one up? Let's, yeah. Uh, let's wrap it up. Too much carrots in me right now. So uh, yeah. we can talk about Tomorrowland. Oh, you're, you're sitting on that pun. You know, I don't get the, it. This was this was yesterday. Land's news. Oh, boy. yesterday. Oh, oh boy. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have All good right, puns, I'm just gonna leave this podcast forever. See you, you guys later. <laughs> if, you, if you have better puns, uh, you can. You, you can't. You can't leave. You're the only one that knows the technology. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. If you leave, we stop recording. <laughs> oh Lord. Well. Uh, I think hats off to Tomorrowland from the Brew Crew. Good job. It's exciting to see. It's exciting to see things like this, and I think we're in a in a world where there's just a lot of a lot of shit going on, and it's great to see somebody succeeding and taking those risks. And that's, I'm looking for leaders right now, and yeah, like, you know, that's uh, they're on my they're on my radar. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for bringing to that us to that. Will, thank you so You're much. You're very, very welcome. Yeah. All right, so let's wrap this thing up. I think there's something I'm supposed to say, and I think it goes something. Ask them like, a question. You got you to ask them a question so they they they, they oh. uh, give us our awesome audience engagement. Uh, oh, what's a good question? Who what's is leading? Like, who? Wh where's an event that you've seen that, yeah. that has pivoted uh, in a way that is uh, inspired you? Maybe. Yeah, that's a great one, and then we'll cover it because we need stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. you're gonna. 
tell us about an event that either went virtual or found a way to do a live experience um, in your neck of the woods and we'd love to explore it and talk about it and not going to lie to you we'll probably look it up as we're talking Our, we're not very good at, uh, at homework <laughs> um, but yeah that's a great question so for everybody listening thanks so much for joining us again um, we got so many podcasts now so if you've just found us for the first time go back and listen you'll hear Tui's beautiful voice who's normally with us and uh, yeah look us up wherever you find your podcasts I probably missed a couple things but from Nick Will and myself peace. peace see ya see ya thanks again for listening to Event Group be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head to eventbrew.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. See you next time on Event Brew.